We now begin the book of Leviticus. Now, some of you have been misdirected. Because chances are, and let's just see if you can, if you, how many of you could be this honest. How many of you, when you think about reading the book of Leviticus, think, I wonder if you were like one of those, I have to read the book in a year, five in a year. How many of you think the best thing I can do is read as quickly as possible through the book of Leviticus? Raise your hand. Okay, see, Leah, that just shows you something. And a lot of the reason why that is is because it's a rather technical book of practices pretty likely you may not be doing. It'd be like me trying to read a Linux handbook. Now, now, in all of that, please understand, the Scripture tells us that every Scripture has been breathed by God. Every Scripture. Every Scripture. And is useful for correcting and teaching and rebuking and equipping in righteousness. That the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That would mean that this Scripture is also used to equip you and me for every good work. It's no less breathed than any other. Jesus says, you search the scriptures by thinking in them that you possess eternal life. Jesus says, yet they are those that testify of me. I would expect in every scripture to find Jesus. Because he told me that. Funny, when Jesus said you search the scriptures, the two things that they would read are the Torah and the Haftorah. The Torah, or the teachings, are the first five books of the Bible, for which this is the middle. The Haftorah would be the prophets, or as we would say as we look in the New Testament, the law and the prophets. When Jesus says, you search the scriptures, these were the scriptures they were searching. To this day, the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is a fundamental and primary book to those seeking to proselytize to Judaism. There are some hardcore groups that would actually demand that you memorize this book in Hebrew before you begin calling yourself a Jew. So look on the bright side. You don't have to memorize it in Hebrew. The book breaks up rather simple, but please understand. Let's get a little bit of reference. And might I say like I would any time, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Flip back to Exodus 40. Let's get a little bit of time stamp on this, a little bit of context. And Exodus, if you remember, God delivers the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, gets them to Mount Sinai by chapter 19, and they have been in Mount Sinai since chapter 19. Chapter 20, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, as do the people. They're all sitting there and hearing it when God speaks. And then Moses goes up to get the plans for the tabernacle. By chapter 25, God says, Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people. And I'd like you to consider how revolutionary that was for them. Maybe not as much for us today. It's amazing what we make commonplace. The idea that the entire Trinity would be in this room, not because it's got stained glass and cool little arches and all of that, but because you're here and you're seeking Him. That the same God who spoke the heavens into existence is here with us. We read that God dwells upon the praises of his people. Did you praise him? I did. He's here. Jesus says when two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. Okay, I'm here in his name. Anyone else? Just give me one. Okay, as long as one of you, then we're, okay, we're good. 
We read the Holy Spirit's here because he dwells within the body of believers. The entire Trinity is in this room, and yet the heaven of heavens can't contain him. But for God to say, make me a place so I can move in and live with you guys, imagine how strange that would sign to a group of people that for 400 years have been in Egypt worshiping big chunks of stone. And God says, I'm the real one. Can I live with you? What if God were to say that to you today? I'm the real one. Can I live with you? But it's going to take sacrifice. So God lays out the blueprints for the sanctuary, for the tabernacle, the tent. The same word, by the way, when we get to the New Testament, when we read about the Word of God, Jesus, that the Word of God was manifest among us, and the word literally is that the Word of God was tented among us. Jesus tented among us, like God the Father tented among his people here. Exodus 40, verse 17, tells us this. Here's our timestamp. And it came to pass, in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, now, if we were to put that in our own calendar, what day would that be? January 1st. Happy New Year. Mazel tov. First day of the second year. Did you get that? Now, granted, these are different months in this time, but nonetheless. Now, flip beyond the book of Leviticus to the other side. The next book is the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. Take a look. Flip there. And we read this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the first year after they had come out, I'm sorry, um, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Now, here's, let's see how smart you are, ready? You don't have to be Bible scholars. How long has it been between Exodus 40:17 and Numbers 1:1? Some of you are quick. The rest of you are still trying to do the math, huh? Listen. Second year, first day, first month. Second year, first day, second month. How long is it? 1 month. The book of Leviticus takes place in the course of 1 month. Because that's the end of the last book, the beginning of the book passes. Does that make sense? Now, for what it's worth, after the book of, um, after the book of Genesis, it's interesting because the books all start in the Hebrew with the word the, which means and. We'll see it here as, like, uh, for instance, in the book of, of Leviticus, notice how it starts with the word now, and then in the book of Numbers we'll see the word now. But literally, God says this and, and then he goes into the next book, and he goes into the next book. In other words, the Torah was one big long scroll. I actually have one in my house from Israel. In that particular book, as you were to read it, God isn't saying, okay, now let's start a whole brand new concept. He goes, and let's continue on. You get that. Now, understand the idea now is about how to approach this God that wants to dwell among us. Interesting, the word blood, and of course that's going to be one of the heavier parts about this, is used more times in the book of Leviticus, in this particular, this little 27 chapter book. Now I say little because we were dealing with 50 and 40 prior. He's going to tell it 66 times, which verses the other four books of the Torah combined are only 53. In other words, there are more times the mention of the word blood in this book than all the other four combined. The words most holy are used more in this book than the other four combined. The term I am the Lord is almost used twice as many times in this book as the other four combined. 
And you understand if you were a parent, because God says, do this, I am the Lord. Do this, I am the Lord. And if you're a parent, you get that, you're like, look at this is the law. And your children say, why? And sooner or later, you get tired of explaining, and you just say, because I'm your dad. That's enough. I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. The word clean is literally used more than twice as many times. The word clean in this book than the other four combined. That tells you a little bit of something. The idea is approaching God with sacrifice, and this is no new concept. From the time of the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we read that Adam, by the way, and his wife were clothed in skin, animal skin. In Genesis 8, right after Noah lands the, lands the big boat, the floating zoo, the first thing he does is build an altar to the Lord and offer a burnt sacrifice. In Genesis 22, when God tells us, and some of us are familiar with some of these texts, about, uh, tells Abraham to offer his son, he says, offer your son as a burnt sacrifice. Moses in Exodus 10, when trying not to bargain with Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, how about just a little bit? Really, how about just here? And of course, just like the enemy, trying to make the compromise, finally Moses responds in in Exodus 20, verse 25, and he says, we must go offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Even Moses' father-in-law, who was the high priest of the Midian cult, in Exodus 18, comes and offers burnt sacrifice in verse 12. Burnt sacrifice was a very common thing among many people, not just those that were called themselves under the living God. Now, as we get into this particular chapter, and we're only going to go through chapter 1 today, um, some of you are like, really, even that much? Follow me on this. Let me give you a basic rundown of the book. Chapters 1 through 7 are basically the law of the sacrifices, and there will be five primary sacrifices that will be listed. The burnt, the grain, the peace, the sin, and the trespass offerings. At chapters 8 through 10, we're going to see the priesthood enacted, and with that, what happens when you don't? And might I say, would you like that extra crispy? That will make sense when you get there. Chapters 11 through 15 is about being clean. That's with foods, in regards to uh, situations, and in regards to people. Chapter 16 will be, I, I believe, will be one of your favorites, and certainly one of mine, the day of Yom Kippur, or the day of atonement. Chapter 17 through 22 will be the moral laws. Chapter 23 will be the feasts. And then 24 through 27, how to keep the lamb burning. And so with that, that's our whole thing in a nutshell. Read through chapter 1 with me, would you please? Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. Stop. We already have something revolutionary. Because before this point we have that Moses and God have been speaking up on the top of a mountain, kind of having a tete-a-tete up there at the top. We read in the last chapter that when the tabernacle was erected, the pillar of smoke or fire and cloud by day came during the day and rested upon the tabernacle in such a way that the priests were not even able to work. Everybody had to take a Sabbath. As God then comes and fills the place so powerfully, all that anyone can do is just it there. And that was where we left Exodus. We left Exodus with us all going, wow. And now God begins to speak to Moses. And as he speaks to Moses, he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. That's our overview for the next seven chapters. 
Because then he's going to say, no, let's talk about those offerings. And he'll go into five of them specifically. Now, please understand something. Today, I'm going to go into this in a little greater detail than I will in the future, at least in my plan. In this, we'll see seven very, very... Well, things that will be standards in regards to this sacrifice and in regards to us as the sacrifices. But please understand... I think we've cleaned up what is dirty. And we've made easy what is difficult to hear. We've made the cross beautiful and varnished and we make it with nice little metal. We make it shiny and it's so pretty now. Pagans and people who hate God can wear it. But I'd like you to realize that this sacrifice is supposed to be pretty disgusting. It should really make us go, Ugh. and I'm not just talking about those of you who are vegan. God is not speaking from the mountain now. God has come down to earth and he's standing there at the tent and he's speaking to Moses like a man speaks to his friends. And he says, if any one of you wants to bring this sacrifice, that alone is revolutionary. Because up to this point in most cultures, the only people who offer sacrifices are a registered group of priests. In Egypt, that was the case. The idea of approaching God as a common person is actually revolutionary to the Bible. And the church has, in history, and I mean that in the sense that church is filled with spots and wrinkles and blemishes and warts, as because we're human, has sought to take back the grace that God has given them. There have been many times in history where the church has put people in the way between man and God. But that really wasn't new. Jesus, during his ministry, his disciples, the two things they did more than anything else was argue over who would be greatest and stop people from coming. Like there were Greeks, no, no. And there was a guy yelling and told him to stop. And there was this person, but we started to send him away. So understand, they're in good company or in bad company at the same time. But revolutionary to the scripture is the fact that God really does not take group reservations. He's all about you specifically. You hear me? He wants you by name. He calls his sheep by name. He doesn't call his sheep by group. He doesn't say, all right, Pentecostals will get you to this side of heaven where it can be loud and, you know, you know, you know let's, see, let's go Anglican. They'll get you over here where it can be nice and quiet and be happy. And you, Calvary, I don't know where to put you so you can go wherever you want. I mean, he doesn't do that. Because he knows you specifically. And each one of us, though our needs are universal in regards to sin and guilt, our personalities are unique enough that we all need individual attention and therapy. But God says, if any one of you wants to come, you can't come with your hunt. Think about what he says here. This is why we have to slow down. None of the animals that are sacrificed are carnivores. Have you noticed that? Your animals are livestock. You're offering vegetarians. Anyway. Um, but you can't offer something you didn't know. You can't offer something that was a threat to you. You can't offer something that you thought was going to kill your family. What you offer is actually something, and this is the first of our seven, it has to be personal. If you've ever been to the Middle East, and to be honest, even in a lot of East Europe where people still shepherd, you know that your animals are your pets. If you had a hundred sheep, you had a hundred pets. You had them all by name. And you could sit and talk to people and they'll tell you this sheep does this and this one does this and this cow's that way. We have a friend who's a rancher back in Central California. And I tell you, um, she's got, she raises goats, among other things. And goats are the craziest, they are just crazy creatures. 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those Screaming Goats videos, but I think that that's fairly true to a lot of their characters. Um, the first, the moment when we got there, and I understand I'm a city boy. I actually was raised in Chicago, so London is actually very easy to breathe in. Uh, the country, I get all nervous. I'm telling you, you give me a place where streets have names, I, I'm, I'm good. But you go someplace where they're like, all right, go like that far and where there's the cow, you take a left. I think you like die and people eat you there. That's, why I'm, that's my attitude. But when we had gone to visit this particular gal, the first thing I noticed is that I had cuticles and the goat was eating my cuticles. My hands were all bloody. I'm like, what in the world? And she's like, you got to hit that one. I'm like, what? She's like, you got to hit that one. I'm like, I don't want to hit a goat. She's like, trust me, you will before the end of the day. And I'm like, all right, I'm with my two daughters and my wife. Now, at that point, my youngest daughter is quite little. She's not huge yet anyways, but she was even smaller. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I take a look, and here's this, this same goat, and the goat drops head and starts charging for her because the goat was a little intimidated by this new creature that had gone into the property. Okay, at that point, the goat got hit. Um, but... <clears throat> And she'll tell you, this is this personality. Oh, this one you can cuddle all day. This is the one you want your daughter to hug. That one, don't go near that one. And I realize, and it's like, but they don't love the one that's nasty any less than the one that's cuddly. And I think, wonder what God would say as you were walking through this church. Okay, that one you can hug. That one, stay away from for a little bit, but don't worry, they'll be nicer later. And, you know, that one, don't go near them until they have their coffee, you know. And that one, little Starbucks and everything's different. You know, and it's, I wonder... Walk by my wife. Don't get that one started on orphans. Grab some tissue. And when God says, look, at when it comes to a sacrifice, understand you're not giving to God something that really doesn't mean anything to you. Think of all the things you could give to God right now that would make you look so great, like a broken iPad that you hated. You're like, I donated my car. It hasn't run for 20 years, but I, oh, I donated my car. And understand, if we're really going to approach God, it's going to have to be personal. God is not about this thing being an empty practice. The two relationships he relates it to is that of a father and a son. No wonder why that's been so attacked. Because it's supposed to be one where it really is absolute sacrifice and total love and safety. And that of a husband and a wife. No wonder why that relationship's been so assaulted. Imagine what it would look like for a perfect marriage and a perfect family. And to put God in those roles, because that's what he's looking at. And he needs this personal. Let me ask you, your Christianity, if you make any claim to it at all, is there a personal aspect? I'm not talking about you make it up as you go along. That's not personal. That's perverted. I'm asking, what about, is there a personal relationship between you and God, or is it just your association? The moment that Christianity becomes cultural, we're in trouble. And he tells us this then. Or the first one that is going to be a burnt sacrifice. Verse 3. If his offering is of a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Ladies, did you hear that? God says that we're going to offer a perfect man. That's what it says. Look at it. This livestock, by the way, is going to be 1 verses 1 to 9, the herd, verses 10 to 13, the flocks, and then 14 through 17, it will be the birds. And you go, well, why is that? Because each one of those descends in value. And the idea is if you want to approach God any one of you can come. And it doesn't matter how poor you are, there will be a sacrifice for you. In this case, there needs to be perfection. Understand that if the sacrifice is going to be given to God, it's going to have to be one that isn't mangy and torn to pieces and about to die anyways. 
And can I just say this? And again, I'm just trying to bring this to heart here. What if you had to sacrifice your pet? Now, if you have a cat, I'm not even bringing that in because some of you would like to sacrifice your cat. But if you had like the kind of thing where you loved it and you, you know, it was like really special to you, understand that's what God's talking about here. And you think, well, why would God even ask that? Because nothing is going to be given more than God does. Any pet I've ever had, and I've had pets that I've loved, I've never loved as much as my children. And I could, in theory, conceivably jump in front of a bullet for you. But I would never push my children in front of it for you. And I think about how many times in Scripture God says he he so loved the world that he gave his son. Not just that he took the cross. Oh, Jesus does truly love us and he demonstrates love there. But please understand, there is a love to me that is even more profound and that's the love of a father and I would never have known that until 16 years ago when I became one. He says, when you offer, you're going to have to offer perfection. Notice what else it says in verse 3. The third thing, the first, by the way, it has to be personal. The second is it has to be perfect. The third, it says, he, may, he shall offer it of his own free will. Do you see that? Look in the scripture. I want you to see that. For those of you who want to debate over free will or over God's sovereignty, and you say, which side do I stand on? I'll tell you I stand on both. God is clearly in control, but man clearly has free will. And you say, how could you say that? It says it right here. Let him offer it of his own free will. Notice there, this is a sacrifice you do not have to offer unless you want to. Did you notice that? The third thing is it has to be picked. It has to be personal. It has to be perfect. Interesting, in the um, Greek there are two basic verb tenses. That is that of active and passive. Active, by the way, um, is that which you make happen. Passive, it happens to you. If I jump up and slap D in the side of the head, I was active. All D had to do was nothing to receive it. Does that make sense? I slapped. That's active. D was slapped. That was passive. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. That sounds so violent. I know. And here we are sacrificing. And look at where this goes. All right. But follow me on this. The term believe in Scripture is active. It is not passive. You choose to spend your faith. That's what, that's what believe means. It doesn't get thrust upon you. You are given faith. Hebrews makes, I'm sorry, um, Romans makes really clear to each person is given a measure of faith. The issue isn't whether you have faith, it's where you spend it. God has placed faith in your account. By the way, it also tells us that faith comes by hearing and that the word of God, right now you are getting more put into your account. The question is, where are you going to spend that faith? Where are you going to spend that trust? But to believe means that you whip out the debit card of your faith and you place it down somewhere on someone or something. To believe in Christ is to spend your faith on Him. And that is active. This thing has to be picked. For me to have a real sacrifice to approach God, it has to be personal. If my friend were to offer and I was with him, it doesn't accrue to me. There in the pew, and the person next to you gets touched by God and prays, Lord, take all of me. It isn't like God said, Okay, well, I'll take all of the five of you. The prayer is to be yours, not just theirs. And the prayer is to be, and this, the offering has to be perfect. And this is the problem with everything else. So, what do you offer to God? If you were right now to stand before Him, and eternity was in the balance. Eternity. Smoking or non-smoking. What are you offering? 
What do you stand? What sacrifice do you offer? By the way, did you notice it never says anywhere in here the perfection of the sacrificer? Did you notice that? It never says you had to be perfect because God knew that was impossible in and of yourself. The issue wasn't you being perfect. The issue was that your sacrifice had to be perfect. So what sacrifice do you offer? Your works? I've done good. Let me ask you. I haven't asked you. Let me ask you. Is it that you've done good or you've done perfectly? Have your intentions been perfect? Has your execution been perfect? Have the results been perfect? Is that what we're shooting for here? Are you really going to stand before God and say, God, check this out. I'm a good person because my good outweighs my bad. The fact that you have to say bad tells you that you're not perfect. They say, well, my church attendance has been perfect. Really? My giving has been perfect. My kindness has been perfect. My mouth has been perfect. At that point, God would know you're delusional. Aren't you thankful that God didn't demand you to be perfect, but that you get to choose the sacrifice? Here's the beauty. Peter tells us in 1 Peter that there is a God who offered his son, tempted in every way, yet without sin, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, like a lamb without blemish. Do you get that? Here's the beauty of walking with Jesus. You get to pick a perfect sacrifice. How do I know he's perfect? How do I know that that this isn't just something handed down from a bunch of bored Jewish guys to another bunch of bored Jewish guys? Because there is an empty tomb and somebody who conquered the grave to prove that death couldn't hold him because Satan had nothing in him because there was no sin upon my God. He died on the cross perfectly innocent so that a perfectly guilty guy like me could get his perfect innocence when I claim him as my sacrifice. Have you claimed Jesus as your sacrifice? Or are you still trying to claim something else? And my question to you again is, is it perfect? Because mine is. I'm not perfect, but He is. And He allowed me the blessing of picking Him. Aren't you thankful? And there's some that want to argue and say, I don't like the fact that there's only one choice. You really think Jesus is the only way? He's the only perfect one! You can pick the other things, but they're not perfect. So which one do you want? If we're honest about it, we should be amazed there's any way at all. If I'm guilty, and someone is willing to step in on my, in my place, and that has no guilt... Could you imagine how completely cheeky it would be to say, yeah, but do you have anything else? Well, there's these other counterfeits, and they're faulty, or you can pick perfection. This is the Son of God we're talking about here. Well, think about that as we continue to move through it, because now it gets a little bit hairy on us. You thought, well, that was rough enough. Listen, personal, perfect, picked. He says, he shall offer it of his own free will. Look at it with me. We're finishing verse 3. Aren't you thankful this isn't a 60-verse chapter? At the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Not only does it have to be perfect and personal and picked, My sacrifice is primary. 
I don't meet at the back of the building with this sacrifice. I meet at the door. It is my cover charge. You can't even get in to the precinct, to the temple or the tabernacle compound without a sacrifice. Did you see that? You meet at the door with it. Now, if you've been a clubber, and I'm in no way encouraging that by any means, you know this. If you look anything under 60, you have to have a valid identification. You could be upset with the guy at the door all you want. But if you don't have a valid identification, you ain't making it in. That is responsible. And there are other places where it's even more than that. It'll be that and 10 pounds or 20 pounds. There are places where you could go that are Christian, and I love that much more, where they don't check your ID, but they'll ask you to bring a canned good. Something happens at the door. And a place where you have to go, imagine if you will, tonight we're all going to go and see the Lion King. Maybe not. (laughs) Some of us are going to go and see the Lion King. And as we go to see the Lion King and we get to the door, someone's going to ask us for a ticket. And you could say, what is a ticket anyways? I've made my own ticket. Don't you think it's a little close-minded for you to say that only your ticket's acceptable? Don't you think you're a bigot? You're probably non-ticket phobia. Phobic. You know what it is? I think that we should all have a right to make our own tickets. And if the guy at the door had any cunning, he might say, you have a right to make whatever ticket you want, but you ain't getting in with this ticket. And in the end of it all, we just assume that that's proper because otherwise the world amounts to chaos. This is not the tabernacle of works. This is not the tabernacle of perfection. Read the verse, and this is a quiz for you. Now, verbal, you all can answer together. Look at verse 3. This is the tabernacle of what? Okay, that's seven of you. This is the tabernacle of what? The tabernacle of what? Who are we meeting? The Lord. Don't miss this. The Lord says, I want to meet with you, but I'm going to expect a sacrifice. Here's the greatest part. He even gives us the sacrifice if we're willing to take it. Imagine that. Imagine if someone stood at the front door of the Lion King and was handing out tickets to everyone from Shoreline. This is hypothetical. I'm not saying this is happening. And you could still come and make up your own ticket, but it would be stupid when someone's already given you a real one, wouldn't it? They'd say, well, I believe I should be able to sit on the stage and watch from there. Well, you can believe whatever you want, but there's an order to this. And understand, I can't even enter the tabernacle of meeting without sacrifice. Please understand, God has offered payment for you to have complete fellowship with Him, to meet with Him intimately. But for that to happen, you have to accept His terms. It's primary. Okay, so quick quiz. Let's see how many you can remember of the four. They're all P letters, or P words. So this sacrifice needs to be what? Perfect, that's one. Personal, that's two. Picked, that's three. Primary, that's four. Well done, for those of you who said that. Now, look at verse four. Now it gets heavy. It says, He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted 
on his behalf to make atonement for him. And by the way, who's the he here? Wrong. I was like, yes, we are. Sorry, the sneeze I was saying is wrong. Um, yes. Okay, so let's play this out. All right, who can we pick on? Allie. You're good at making animal noises. She actually made me dress up like something and sing for my daughter. So, Oh, no, never mind. You're in a dress. Never mind. I won't do that. See? See how she got away with that? Don't wear dresses, guys, to think you're going to get away with this. Naomi. See, she hit in the back. See how this is? You don't have a dress on, right? Okay, great. Have you done this before? Oh, this is awesome. Okay. Come on down here. You have the role of... Livestock! Big round of applause for our livestock. I need the role of a sinner. Who wants to play the role of a sinner? Okay, Lucas. Oh, no, D. Come on, D. That's great. Okay, you get, you got to... Can you give me some... Did you really? Hey, don't worry, but last time you didn't have one of these. Check this out. This is like livestock out there. Ooh, huh? See, don't think we don't take care of our people. Now... You know, get this. Ready? Okay, so Naomi is our livestock. In this case, she's a cow. <laughs> and listen to what has to happen here. Dee has to take his hands, and he has to lean, literally lean upon her like this. So go ahead, Dee. There you go, right? And he has to confess his sins. Now imagine, imagine this. Now look at, how, look at how close this is. Please. He has to be this close because which one of you, if you're going to confess your sins, wants to be far away from the animal? What happens if you're farther away from the animal? Everybody else hears your sins. Which one of you is going to be like, and I did this, and I... So, you're, so look at what these. These probably now become the cow whisperer, right? Does that make sense? Now think about how close that is. Listen to this. He is now imparting his sins upon this animal. That's the idea of this. I've done this, done that, I've done this. The only person that can be convinced that something deserves to die probably is the cow. Except he doesn't really realize it's going to be him, or in this case, her. So you're a male without blemish at the moment, Naomi. I just want you to realize that. No. Now hold on. Stay there. Stay there. I know, just to make things really awkward, but it's cool. Now, please, please hear me. He has to, and the term is, lay it on, right? He's got to lay on those sins, right? He's laying on those sins as he lays on his hands. Listen to this. And some of you are familiar with this. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Not just some of us. Not just the blacker sheep, the wilder sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray each to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Did you get it? 720 years before Jesus walked on earth, or was even born to walk on earth, God had promised all of our sins were going to be laid on Jesus like they've been doing this for 1,400 years. Do you get it? But it gets crazier. Listen to this. Verse 4 with me again. He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. It will be accepted on behalf of him to make atonement for him. Number five, by the way, of those two words is the word propitiation or proxy. In other words, one in light of the other. Listen to verse... Okay. Would you read verse five out loud, please? 
just the first sentence. Go ahead and read it. What does it say? He shall... Okay, let me ask you. Who is the he? Yeah, we are. Did you realize that? As I started studying the Hebrew just to check and see how vague this could be, I read through the whole Hebrew through so many times that my, my, I was like, there is no possible way this could mean anything other than this. He's got to kill the animal. Whose animal is it? It's his. Did you get that? Could you imagine what this would be like? Why is this? This is for atonement. This is for a sin. He is aware of his sins. He didn't confess his good deeds. Did you notice that? He didn't confess all the good things. He laid his hands on this animal and said, this is what I've done. And he's got to kill this animal. Could you imagine? Now look at Here's the word. And the word, by the way, is perpetration. Perhaps you may not be familiar with the word. We use it like perpetrator. That's a person who's guilty. You can go ahead. You can, we can send the cows home. Thank you. Because the rest of it, you really don't even want to try to act out. Okay, listen. Listen. This is what happens with every person who comes. Is you have to realize you're guilty. Now, look, in the world we live in, we are so about self-esteem, which just means make me feel good about myself, that if we won't actually... We'd rather live a lie and make ourselves feel good than approach the truth and deal with it. Have you noticed that? And some will say, are you trying to make me feel guilty? I'm saying, no, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But he'll make you feel guilty so that you'll get it right. My question to you is not, am I trying to make you feel guilty? The question is, are you? And the answer is yes. Without your sacrifice, you're guilty. And there is no way you're going to stand before them. Notice you actually confess your sins and then you kill the animal. You don't kill the animal and then confess your sins. So you know why that animal died. Because you're guilty. Because I'm guilty. And I'm a perpetrator. I don't stand before God and say, I'm a good person, check out my great works. I stand before God and I say, I need your mercy and your grace. I don't need your benefits in the sense of like, pay me what you owe me, because what, what I'm owed is what that animal got. That's what I'm owed. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Do you realize that? Please understand, this book that you might have read quickly through, we got the gospel and we haven't even finished chapter one. Have you noticed that? You're going to have to kill this animal. You're going to have to stand there in front of the priests and you're going to say, I did this and I did this and I did this. And you take the knife and you slit the throat. And as the animal shivers and shakes and shudders and bleeds on you, while the priests take a golden bowl to catch the blood and dies in front of you and finally falls over and breathes its last, like I did this. Now, this was not to make you mean or to hate animals. This was to make you hate sin. Can I be honest with you? I don't. I wish I did, and I don't. I hate the fact that I don't hate my sin. I know it does that. I know that my Savior was pierced. I know that my Savior bled and died. I still don't hate my sin. And I think, what is wrong with me? And I'll be honest. far that this has become more ritual and less personal oh I know he's perfect and I picked him I'm glad I did 
but I cease to think of myself as the perpetrator I need to. Because when I really do realize how desperate I am, I cry out to a Savior, not just to a pal and a homeboy. A Savior, because I need a Savior. You do too. Let's move on and we'll close this up. He kills the animal before the Lord and now for the first time now in verse 5 we see the priest step in. The priests collect the blood. One of the things we're going to see them responsible for is for the blood. They collect the blood. They sprinkle the blood around the altar of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 6, notice it says then he skins the burnt offering. He. Who's the he? It's us. You skin the animal? How do you like that? It's interesting. By Leviticus chapter 7 verse 8, and write that down if you want to check on me, the priest who offers anyone burnt offering, the priest shall actually have for himself the skin. That's actually what he makes some of his clothes out of. So he says, skin the burnt offering, cut it into pieces, and then we see Aaron again, and his sons, the priests. The priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wooden order on fire. And the priest and Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order, and the wood, which is on the fire on the altar, and he shall wash he. Now, who's the he? It's us. Shall wash his entrails with the flags in water. And then the priest shall burn how much of it? Look at it with me, verse 9. And the priest shall burn how much? All. Please hear me, we're almost done, because the rest of it then just shows the modifications for lesser animals in the sense of price. While six is perpetration, number seven is present, because I have to present this animal. I present my sacrifice. What I've done with it, by the way, at this point, is I've skinned it, I've cut it, and I've washed it, and then I've put it in the place and I've handed it to the priest. But the priest burns all. Please note this. The sacrificer didn't give all. The sacrifice did. Did you notice that? God didn't say, if you sin, give all your livestock. If you sin, give all of your herd. Give all of your flock. But on a burnt sacrifice, gave everything. There is no part of the sacrifice that isn't burnt. Jesus gave. You didn't. I didn't. He didn't. Because if I had given everything, it wouldn't have been enough. He gave it all. The priest then, listen, the three things he's primarily responsible for is the blood, he brings it and sprinkles it. The fire, he puts it on and lays it. And then the parts, as he lays them down to be consumed. Can I just say, as a priest, and God calls us all to be as we walk with him, we administer the blood. And we administer the, con- the consuming of other sins. Our responsibility is to offer the blood and to bring people to a place where they recognize that all their sins and the fire that God is. It's all consuming the fire that was started, by the way, by God. That fire would be ignited by God and would stay lit by man. They would continue to put the, the wood on it. Now listen, as we get ready to pray, verses 10 through, as we look 10 through 13, it's of the flocks, the sheep of the goats, it's a burnt sacrifice, he brings a male without blemish, same, he kills it on the north side, there's a specific place, the priests sprinkle the blood, they cut it into, he cuts it into pieces with the head and the fat, the priests lay it in order, the wood and the fire that's on it, and the man washes it again, we don't read that he skins it, the priest shall bring all the burnt, 
and burn all of it, by the way, on the altar. And in both cases, we read it's an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. That means, by the way, that God accepts it. Please welcome. He welcomes it. If it's of if it's of the birds, the man offers turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest then brings it to the altar, rings and burns it, and the man removes the crop, casts it beside the altar, splits it but not completely, and then the priest burns it, and it's an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. Listen to these things one more time as we get ready to pray. Is Jesus your personal Savior today? We read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but can you put your own name there? That God so loved Marcia. That God so loved Aurora. That God so loved Michaela. That God so loved Ayo. Could you say that today? That God so loved Aymon. Because he did. But not only is he perfect, you've got to pick him still. You'd say, well, I believe God's just not going to send anyone to hell. And I'd say you're probably right in this sense. Hell exists, but you're going to deny Jesus to go there. The problem with something active and something passive is for something passive, for that not to happen, you have to actively refuse it. If I offer something to Amina, she could passively receive it. All she has to do is allow it. But for her to refuse it, she has to actively refuse it. Does that make sense? And that's a hard thing in British culture. Let's be honest. We learn how to try to say no without saying no. Isn't that true? But it gets to a point sooner or later, and ladies, perhaps some of you know this more than others, because you have to say no sometimes to guys because they don't get subtlety. And then sometimes you have to say no very clearly, and then sometimes you have to say no even more clearly. It becomes active. Jesus has been thrust at you today. You can passively refuse him. Or you can actively refuse him. Today, can I suggest pick Jesus? He's the only perfect sacrifice you have. He's your propitiation. He paid the price you deserve and I deserve because we are perpetrators. Today I challenge you to present Jesus. If you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you're willing to confess with your mouth that He's Lord, God will actually take all of your sins and put them on His and give you His innocence. The Bible says, by the way, that God made Him who had no sin to be us, that we might become the righteousness of God through them. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? If you have, can I suggest this? Prepare yourself for the next few sacrifices because we expect to see what happens once we've accepted that. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the beauty of this word. Thank you for what you've done in it. Thank you for the ministry, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this amazing book of Leviticus, Lord, and how you're opening it up to us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have set these things in motion in a way that you've actually favored us, not made it rough. You could have made it so that it was about discipline, but some of us would have been favored, those who were more disciplined. You could have made it about those who were wealthy, but some of us would have been disadvantaged by being poor. You could have made it about those who had greater ability to be at church and to pray more and to give more or to, to study more, to learn more, to memorize more, but somebody would be advantaged. 
those born in a healthier home, those who are brighter, those who are wealthier. But you've made the playing field level. The only one who has. Because you've allowed us all to be in the same state of need as sinners, guilty sinners, perpetrators. But in that state of need, you have today offered us the perfect sacrifice in our place. And Lord, even if we don't understand everything, and even if we know about the history of the church that is marred with man's own evil, if you really are willing to offer us today the sacrifice for, for, of innocence for our guilt, we have to be fools to say no. And so, Lord, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit, you administer to every person in this room. And look, and I don't know where you're at. You could fool me. You won't fool him. But right now, as the Lord is dealing with you and me, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you've never really picked your sacrifice in him for it to be Jesus. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. And I'm going to make it really easy on you. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen so you know what you're getting yourself in. And if you agree with the prayer at the end, I simply ask for you to say, Amen. But by that, what you are saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it my life. It's as if this prayer right now is waiting to be placed upon you and all, you're asking, and all I'm asking is for you to say amen confidently and resoundedly. You say yes, that's me now too. So listen closely. God, I'm not perfect. My ways aren't perfect. My practices haven't been perfect. My intentions haven't been perfect. And you demand a perfect sacrifice. But you for me the perfect sacrifice you've already done that for me and by giving your only begotten son Jesus to die on the cross he died on the cross so that all of my guilt could be properly and all you have my permission to take to release all of my guilt and accept Jesus' forgiveness and innocence in my place. So with that, I say yes. I say yes to the gift of Jesus at the cross. I say yes to the gift of Jesus dying for me on the cross for my sins. And just like your scripture promised, on the third day rose again. So please then, Wash me clean. Jesus, as you rose again, you have the right to be the Lord of my life. So what now he has say, command to be the author of my reinvention. As you've said, I'm willing to confess you as Lord. So Jesus, I do confess you as Lord. As I surrender not only my death to you, but surrender my future to you, my life to you. Have me now. I give myself to you and gladly surrender and accept the gift you offer. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.